Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oils. Oils that run smart. Informing America's farmers and ranchers, this is AOA, produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Now, here's your host, Mike Pearson. Thanks for tuning in to AOA today. Always appreciate you joining us and taking uh, taking a listen to these updates here on the ag industry. We've got a busy show today. Lots happening in agriculture. We're going to talk markets here with Brian Split of agmarket.net in just a moment. And then in segment two, it's the first Wednesday of November, which means it's time for the monthly grind. Our monthly segment with our friends from the National Corn Growers Association digging in to where corn goes after it leaves your farm. And this month, we're talking poultry, that intersection between U.S. corn and poultry with Mike Beard and Shelby Watson. And then in segment three, we're going to catch up with Leah Biondo, Executive Vice President of the U.S. Cattlemen's Association. She was on tour this past week in Texas talking to producers, and she's getting ready for their annual meeting in December. We'll get an update on all of that here in just a little bit. Before we do, though, let's talk about these markets. And Brian Split, I tell you what, my neck hurts, I think, from whiplash here in this wheat market. Had some news in the overnight. Can you bring us up to speed? Yeah, Mike, uh, easy come, easy go, that's for sure. Uh, you know, again, it all started with news over the weekend that uh, Putin was reneging on the uh, humanitarian corridor to allow grain to leave Ukraine. Um, and then uh, about 5 o'clock in the morning overnight, it hit the news wires that uh, they were going to uh, essentially allow that again. So Russia said it would resume participation in the deal. And uh, that just brought futures down sharply, uh, made some lows uh, very, very quickly. December corn had traded down to 680. Uh, it's slightly off of that low, down uh, 14 and a quarter at 683 and a half. Uh, the bulk of the selling was in wheat. December Chicago wheat is currently down 60 cents. Uh, we've got December Kansas City wheat down 50 cents. And uh, we have to remember that these wheat markets did gap higher coming out of the weekend uh, because of the news. Uh, and so I think that that's going to be the job of the market is to go down and fill those gaps. Um, and I believe actually the, uh, the Chicago wheat came within about a quarter cent of filling its gap. Uh, KC's got about another nickel to go before it fills that gap. So that's that's where we're sitting right now, Mike. So, Brian, and the trade has been whipsawed here back and forth with these Russian announcements. It, it looks like watching price action this morning, they take the Russians at their word and believe that uh, exports are going to resume. Is that your sense of the situation? Well, you can't afford not to. Um, you know, that's the news that you're given, and uh, the market's going to trade it immediately. Um, so they, they wasted no time putting in risk premium on Sunday night, uh, and they're not wasting any time taking it out. So if you think about where the market had closed on, uh, on Friday uh, going into the weekend, we had December Chicago wheat at 8.29 and a quarter. So, you know, we're talking about another 13 cents lower from where we're sitting at the moment. And December uh, hard red wheat, the, K the KC variety, uh, that had settled on Friday at uh, 9.25. So that's about another 14 cents lower than where we're sitting right now. Uh, I would not be surprised not only if we fill these gaps, but if we go back and kind of recheck where we were right at Friday's close, uh, all things being equal, uh, maybe we've got a little bit of, of additional support from some news yesterday that the Argentina, or Argentinian government was uh, thinking about allowing their exporters to delay shipment of wheat uh, because of concerns about their own domestic supply. So maybe that... Um, will keep the market from going all the way back to where it was on Friday's uh, settlement. But uh, the, the trade just cannot afford to, to ignore uh, what's, you know, what Putin is saying one way or the other at this point. Absolutely. So that wind is out of the sails, at least for the time being here in the wheat market. Brian, we are seeing, or at least it's surprising to me, strength here in the soybean market. That was another one that rallied on the, uh, the, the risk of oil into the global market earlier in the week. It's holding up well. Do you think that's going to persist? Well, I, I think there was that initial buying in soybeans coming out of the weekend because of uh, the, the spillover from oil, right? So Ukraine is a large producer of sunflowers, thereby sunflower oil. Uh, so that would lead to concerns about 
of the ability to supply that to the rest of the world. But I think something else has taken over since then, and we saw the results of the election in Brazil, um, and so now we're seeing unrest there. Uh, we've got uh, large demonstrations taking place outside of military barracks. Uh, we've got a lot of uh, people calling for activation of the military. And so I think that unrest in Brazil is something that is, is keeping some some geopolitical premium in the bean market. Um, now, technically, I think we've seen some things that have added to the buying. Uh, yesterday, we were able to get through the October WASDE report high during the night session. You had the 50 and the 100-day moving averages kind of converged at that level. So pushing through that, no doubt, ran some stops. Uh, we were able to close above the 200-day moving average yesterday. Uh, we've traded on both sides of it today. But uh, the downtrend on the January soybean chart is going to come in right around the 1470 area. So if we do see some additional strength, especially for the producer that has delivered beans that has a little bit of time before they're going to start incurring storage uh, charges, uh, I think you've got to use this rally as an opportunity to, to price those soybeans because uh, you know, you, maybe you're looking for another 20 to 30 cents higher here. But if you don't get that prior to when you start incurring these storage fees, you're going to pay that right out of the gate just to store these beans until the end of the year. So I think you've got to take the bird in the hand right now. That makes sense, Brian. Well, the bird in the hand over in the corn market might have flown away a little bit this morning. I know March and May were touching $7. They've since backed off. Can that come back into the cards? I'm not going to say it can't. Um, you know, this, this corn market's been in an upward trending channel. Uh, with the news that we got today, we're kind of back down towards the low end of that channel. Uh, March corn is, is retesting the 50-day moving average, which uh, we really haven't seen the 50-day moving average since late August when we, uh, we had gapped higher from uh, August 22nd to August 23rd. Uh, and that was right during the, the crop tour where we were really realizing that the yield was not quite what we thought it was. Um, so we've got a, a pretty steady upward trending channel. We're at the low end of that channel. Um, really, the pattern in the market right now for corn is that uh, we seem to be making highs on these WASDE reports. So we're going to get a, another WASDE report a week from today. Uh, you think back to the September WASDE report, we made a high that day. We didn't end up taking that high out until a couple days prior to the uh, October WASDE report. We did have the quarterly stock report in between those two. That report also marked a high of its own. So I would think that just if we follow the current pattern in the market, maybe we find some support uh, in, in this vicinity uh, and, and find uh, a little bit of buying as we approach the report next week. Now, if we do find ourselves at the upper end of this channel, uh, which is what we've been doing when we get to these reports, that's going to be around 720 basis the March contract. And uh, I think if you see that in the short term, uh, from a timing perspective and from a technical perspective, that's probably an area where if you've got some marketing to do on corn, you might want to pull the trigger. All right, lots to think about here as this season moves on. Brian, I know it's early, but are you expecting another yield drop in next week's WASD on corn? Uh, no, actually. Um, the submission that, uh, that we uh, put in uh, pre-report uh, was to actually see the corn yield uh, make a minor bounce by 0.3 bushels per acre. All right. Well, we'll be watching for that one week away from the November WASD report. Brian Split of agmarket.net, thank you so much for joining us today and sharing your insight. Thanks, Mike. Appreciate it. And folks, stick around. When AOA returns, it's the monthly grind with our friends from the National Corn Growers Association. Stick around. We're going to talk about that intersection between corn and poultry when AOA returns. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. These acres you've put your life into your view each harvest morning. While the ag industry changes, this land is meant to be here for your grandkids and then theirs. That's why ADS and drainage contractors across the nation are doing our part to protect America's farm families. We're proud to provide water management solutions that make family farms like yours more profitable, now and for generations to come. Learn more about how we keep families farming at adspipe.com. At Bravance, our corn and soybean varieties are vetted nearly 3 million times against the competition. How many? 3 million frickin' times! Hey man, I'm standing right next to you. Ah, sorry, got a little excited. 
Don't take us at our word. Take us at our proof. Visit Bravant.com to see for yourself. Bravant Seeds. It's about time. Bravant multi-year on-farm pre-commercial head-to-head comparisons, third-party and research trials, based on more than 2.8 million comparisons. With Harvest wrapping up, channel technical agronomist Don Gustafson joins me to provide an outlook on Harvest and an analysis of channel's product performance this year. Don, channel products in the field, how'd they do? Well, because the farmers have faced a variety of conditions across the region this season, you know, some growers were able to get in the field early, others experienced a delayed planting season, and of course, throughout the season, moisture was either abundant, fair, or scarce. But despite these various conditions, um, channel corn and soybean products have performed very well. From the high yielding acre to the stressed acre with limited rainfall, we have been very pleased with our solid performance. We have a very exciting lineup and we've got great genetics and great breeding to, to back that up. That was Channel Technical Agronomist Don Gustafson. To see how channel products are performing in your area and sign up to receive local harvest results via text or email, visit channel.com yield. Vision loss is not something that you feel until it happens. Most people lose their vision from diseases like macular degeneration and glaucoma, not at birth. With macular degeneration, you lose your central vision. You have a blind spot right in the center of your face, so I can't actually see your face. So even that little circle in which I could see became a big blur. I was 65 when I first was diagnosed with glaucoma. There were no symptoms. I had no headaches. Three million Americans have glaucoma, and half don't even know it. Eleven million people in the United States have macular degeneration. You lose mobility, independence, changes your entire life. So many eye disorders can be treated if caught early. My husband tells me that I have beautiful brown eyes, and I don't want to lose that. Make a plan today to get your eyes checked. Visit brightfocus.org to learn more. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. Keeping America's farmers and ranchers informed on AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Thanks for tuning in to AOA today. It is, of course, the first Wednesday of November, which means it's time to check in with our friends from the National Corn Growers Association for a segment we like to call the Monthly Grind. We're going to dig into what happens to that corn crop after it leaves your operation and it makes its way into the broader world. Joining us for this discussion, we're going to be talking with Mike Beard. He's an Indiana farmer and member of the Market Action Development Team, the Market Development Action Team, excuse me. And we've also got Shelby Watson on the line with us today. She is the manager of internal operations at USA Poultry and Egg Export Council. Thanks to both of you for joining us. Mike, let's start with harvest. How did it go in Indiana this year? Harvest in Indiana is a, a different bag of tricks because uh, uh, some of us had drought and some of us didn't. And uh, but it the weather's given us a good opportunity to uh, move right along and and near and become nearly completed with harvest. Well, that is good news. Getting that corn out of the ground, getting it all prepped for winter, and then in Indiana and across the Midwest, a not small portion of that corn is going to make its way into poultry operations. In fact, in Indiana alone, there are 45.6 million chickens. They're an important part of the corn demand picture. Shelby Watson, manager of internal operations at USA Poultry and Ag Export Council, thanks for joining us today. Can you tell us a little bit who is USA PEEC? Good morning. Um, so USAPEAC is what we call it for short because um, it certainly is a mouthful. Um, we are um, a trade association that represents the U.S. poultry industry as a whole. Um, our mission is to protect, open, and develop new markets worldwide. And then we also serve as the industry's voice on trade and policy issues. So we kind of think of ourselves as a link between the poultry industry in the U.S. and the U.S. government. And then we also act as a liaison between exporters and importers representing the U.S poultry industry. Now, the U.S. poultry industry, Shelby, that is a big umbrella that covers a lot of different types of birds. Do you work with anything specifically, meat, eggs, or is it all of the above? 
all of the above. So we represent um, U.S. chicken, U.S. turkey, duck, and eggs and egg products. Well, that is a big flock that you are keeping an eye on. <laughs> and Mike, I'm curious, you're working on the Market Development Action Team. You've got these partnerships with con corn consumers around the world. Could you talk a little bit about the work that NCGA has done with USAPEAK? Well, USAPEAK uh, is, <clears throat> is, is the arm uh, of the poultry industry that develops new markets. And uh, at Market Development Action Team, we're we're about developing new markets, uh, whether it be uh, corn uh, as a grain or whether it be corn as a feed ingredient in the meat that's exported around the world. Um, and you know, when 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 we do it as a as a feed ingredient, that means that that domestically uh, we're adding value to that corn here in the U.S. And we we appreciate that uh, opportunity to do that. Um, Usapeak has been a great partner um, in finding new markets and, and uh, working to increase market share uh, for exports of poultry around the world. That is true. And it's so important to keep the information accurate and up to date when we're working with international buyers. Shelby, I know that national corn growers have worked with Usapeak to update buyers guides and, and keep information factual and at hand. Can you tell us a little bit about the kind of work that you've done? Certainly. Um, to this day, one of my favorite programs and projects that I've worked on was actually with National Corn Growers. We updated our buyer's guides for eggs, chicken, and turkey. And um, gosh, back in the 90s, we created this PDF brochure that we were shipping out to our international markets where um, buyers could look through, flip through, kind of like a um, catalog that you used to get in the mail, um, and they could see what they could import um, from the U.S., and it was costly. Um, the only time we could get those into buyers' hands was when we were actually with them in person. Um, so actually, just before um, COVID kind of shut down travel for everybody, we decided it was time for us to digitalize these resources. So we worked really closely with National Corn Growers, and we made these awesome, awesome guides on our website that details all of the products that the U.S. industry has to offer. Um, and they have some really cool features about them. Um, they can be translated. So when a buyer in a foreign country opens up the guide, it'll um, pop up an option for it to translate into whatever language is their um, first language. And then also, um, they're accessible 24-7. So um, at all times when we're sleeping and they're awake over in Japan, um, they can be looking and requesting products from the U.S. without having to um, have that physically in their hands. So it's been an awesome and very, very timely project. Absolutely. And anytime you can make the process of buying goods easier, you oftentimes sell more of them. And Mike, I'm curious, as you think about poultry and ag exports, do you know roughly how much that contributes to the U.S. corn growers' bottom line? Well, we estimate that uh, poultry exports add about 28 cents to the value of every bushel that we produce. Uh, you know, that equates to about $4.1 billion of revenue to the American farmer uh makes a big difference uh you know one one bird doesn't eat a lot of feed but a lot of birds will will eat a lot um so the strength in the strength in numbers is is uh the basis for the poultry industry when it comes to using corn as a feed ingredient absolutely are, that is a fantastic point mike <laughs> You know, and actually, you know, Mike, you raised something interesting. One bird doesn't eat a lot of corn, but there are lots and lots of chickens out there. <laughs> Shelby, do you know offhand how much corn the American poultry industry goes through? Sure. So um, in 2021, the U.S. poultry industry exported about 303 million corn bushel equivalents worth of poultry. Um which was about 5.6 billion in 2021. So we're expecting to um, 
fly by that this year. Um, we know the numbers are already kind of bypassing that. So we're excited to see the full 2022 picture. Um, but the poultry industry consumes about 1.2 billion bushels of corn, which makes them the largest consumer um, of corn grain in the livestock sector. Um, and because corn is low in fiber, it's the easiest grain for chickens to digest. All right, so the outlook looks good for chicken consumption, poultry consumption here for America's corn going forward, Shelby? Yes, definitely. Um, we are excited to see how um, our demand continues to increase as um, consumer wants change throughout um, international markets. And um, it's it's interesting for us to be able to keep up with the, the demands across the world and how different regions differ and um, how we can meet that need with U.S. grown poultry. And I understand part of meeting that need is listening to the feedback. What did the buyers say? What was their experience? And how did they get that experience back to us? Can you talk a little bit about Yusuf Peak's work on building that buyer feedback tool? Sure. So um, one of the cool things about our buyer's guides that I was talking about earlier is that um, there is an immediate way for buyers to request product from the U.S. poultry industry. So they can click right there on the buyer's guides and put in a request. Um, and through our um, software, it goes out to all of our U.S. members um, who export. And so if somebody from a certain company sees that and says, hey, I can fill that need, then they um, take it offline and they communicate between themselves, which um, is kind of difficult for us to follow up on um, to see, you know, was that successful? Was that not successful? Um, so we have worked with national corn growers to create a feedback survey um, so we can follow up and see if those conversations were successful, um, if a deal was made, if there was any poultry that um, wound up in another market from the U.S. because of the work that Peak did to put them together. Um, so we are very, very excited to start seeing the results of that um, and hearing from both our members in the U.S. and our international buyers on, you know, is Usapeak fulfilling their needs correctly? Is there anything we can do better? Um, so we have already gotten lots of great feedback on the buyer's guides first and foremost. So um, definitely a very cool tool. That is fantastic, folks. We have been talking here with Shelby Watson. She's the manager of internal of operations at USAPEAK, the USA Poultry and Egg Export Council. Shelby, thank you so much for joining us today and for talking about this important intersection between corn and poultry. Absolutely. Happy to be here. And folks, we've also been talking with Mike Beard, Indiana farmer and member of the Market Development Action Team at the National Corn Growers Association. Mike, thank you so much for joining us. We wish you the best of luck wrapping up harvest there in Indiana. Thank you very much. And folks, stick around. When we return, we're going to check in with Leah Biondo, Executive Vice President of the U.S. Cattlemen's Association, about what's developing on the beef sector that she's keeping an eye on. Stick around for more AOA after this. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oils. Oils that run smart. These acres you've put your life into, your view each harvest morning. While the ag industry changes, this land is meant to be here for your grandkids and then theirs. That's why ADS and drainage contractors across the nation are doing our part to protect America's farm families. We're proud to provide water management solutions that make family farms like yours more profitable, now and for generations to come. Learn more about how we keep families farming at ADSPipe.com. Tune in the first Wednesday of every month to listen to the monthly grind here on AOA. It's brought to you by our friends at the National Corn Growers Association, and each month we're going to dig into one specific aspect of corn demand. What happens to this grain after it leaves your operations and enters the global supply chain? That's what we're going to talk about each month on the monthly grind. Again, that's the first Wednesday of every month, and you can also find us wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. It's a show you don't want to miss. You're listening to AOA for the American Ag Network. I'm Jesse Allen reporting. Well, the grain markets are turning sharply lower as Russia has done an about-face today, saying that they will again participate in the grain trade deal that 
allows cargoes to depart from Ukraine ports. The move, very surprising to traders here today. It's sent grain prices sharply lower, led by the wheat markets, uh, which we would assume sharp losses in Chicago, KC wheat, and spring wheat as well. Here's a work through the trading day that's weighing on corn, which is down double digits. A soybean market holding up okay with continued great strength in bean meal and bean oil. And that's keeping soybean prices just moderately lower as we work through the day here today on Wednesday. But again, Russia re-entering the grain deal, just continuing a lot of mixed messages and a lot of volatility with this situation. Credit was given to Turkey and the UN for providing written guarantees for Ukraine that it would not use the grain corridor to conduct military hostilities against Russia, but no confirmation was seen that this was true. Now, also, the agreement is still set to expire November 19th unless it is extended, so negotiations are going to have to continue here. So a lot of volatility surrounding this situation we're watching in the markets today. We're also watching the outside markets as the Federal Reserve meeting is set to wrap up today and stock futures drifting quietly here ahead of the afternoon updated monetary policy statement from the Fed. The market expecting a 75 basis point rate hike today could even see 50 if not 75, but most people expecting that 75 basis point rate hike. So we're going to be keeping our eyes on that closely and see how the uh, Fed news impacts the outside markets and in turn impacts commodities. Livestock trade is mixed. Cattle moving higher with grains, especially corn, breaking to the downside on the day Wednesday. You're listening to AOA for the American Ag Network. I'm Jesse Allen reporting. Nothing offers an opportunity to bond and give thanks quite like breaking bread together. This is especially true as we welcome our troops back home and keep those who are still stationed overseas in our hearts. Hi, I'm Gary Sinise. Since 2011, the Gary Sinise Foundation's Serving Heroes program has shown gratitude to our nation's defenders and their families by serving up nearly 500,000 hearty classic American meals at travel hubs and military locations. And now, together with our friends at Bob Evans Farms and their Our Farm Salutes program, we will help to provide even more meals nationwide, offering our defenders a taste of home and a feeling of togetherness around the table. Help us show America's gratitude through food and fellowship. Look for the Bob Evans Our Farm Salutes purple packaging at your grocery store and visit ourfarmsalutes.com to learn more. While we can never do enough to support the men and women who serve together, we can make a difference bite by bite. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. <laughs> Keeping America's farmers and ranchers informed on AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Hello, folks. Welcome back to AOA Today. You know, we just talked about what's happening in the poultry industry, and now it's time to turn our focus to another sector of livestock production here in the United States, beef production, cattle production. We're talking next with Leah Biondo. She's an executive vice president with the U.S. Cattlemen's Association, and last week she was out on the road touring Texas talking to producers about their concerns. Leah, thanks for joining us today. Yes, Mike, thank you for the chance again. Last week, I know we had a little bit of trouble connecting, but I'm excited to be here today talking with the AOA crowd. You bet. Well, let's talk about what you learned down there in Texas. What were the conversations with producers like in that state that has had such a challenge this past year with weather? They have. They've had quite the drought down there. But listen, they're excited about some of the opportunities we've got before us in Congress to help level the playing field between producers and packers. You know, weather is just one of their challenges and it is quite a large challenge, but also getting fair and competitive prices for their livestock is another. And so that's one of the things that we talked about. We also talked about truth in labeling on domestic beef products with them being so close to the border, they're often competing with Mexican feeder cattle. Um, and so for them having that truthful and accurate labeling on the package of their product in the grocery store is very, very important. So um, I would say we had some great conversations on how we can get there together. Uh, the Independent Cattlemen's Association of Texas, of course, is an affiliate of the U.S. Cattlemen's Association. So we were um, glad to be down there with our, our very longtime partner. 
Well, Leah, you mentioned there the the political action that's happening this year. We've seen agriculture and specifically the beef business and cattle production be a focus of a lot of legislative and regulatory action this past year. From U.S. Cattlemen Association's perspective, uh, what are some of the big wins that we saw out of this Congress? Sure. So I would say, of course, Mike, that the Congress isn't over. And that's kind of the theme of today's conversation, I would I would say, is that we're really now in um, now or never territory. And if there's one thing that uh, listeners should take away from our visit this morning, it's that um, we really are entering uh, the lame duck session here with, um, you know, these two major pieces of legislation are the wind at our backs. Um, and for those of you who aren't maybe familiar with those, that would be the Cattle Price Discovery and Transparency Act and the Meat and Poultry Special Investigator Act. And so both of these bills would seek to reverse some of the anti-competitive buying practices that we've seen in the meat and uh, livestock sectors. And, um, you know, the results of this upcoming election really are going to shift the politics in D.C. And we do have to be mindful of what that means for the success of both of these pieces of legislation. Well, Leah, I mean, what what does that mean? We spoke with Senator Grassley here on this show about two weeks ago. He said he is going to continue pushing for some floor Senate time for the cattle market price discovery bill. Is that something your members are pushing their uh, congressional leadership for as well? Yes, yes. And Senator Grassley's been such a big champion of this. You know, he's been carrying this bill forward for almost 20 years. It's not a new concept. It's not something that's being rushed. Um, Senator Grassley, Senator Fisher has been an incredible champion, and Senator John Tester out of Montana. Those three right there have been really vying for some floor time for this bill, and um, we're pretty confident we're going to get that following the election. All right. And on the meat and poultry special investigator, I haven't heard any action recently. You're more plugged in to the behind the scenes stuff in D.C. What's the current state of that bill? Of course. So we're hoping to move both of these bills as a package. And we've got several things going for us on that front. The Senate Agriculture Committee has already passed both of those bills out of the committee and the full House has passed the Meat and Poultry Special Investigator Act. Um, plus, of course, you know, the president supports our goals. So we um, are confident that we're moving forward, but I'm not here to kind of sell any false optimism. I'm very aware of the fact that we're going up against some very powerful adversaries, the meat packing lobby and the corporate feeders that hold contracts with those meat packers have been strongly opposing this bill. So there's a lot of um, political tension on, on both of these bills, but um, you know, if we can get our producer members to go out there and uh, contact their members of Congress, again, we're, we're fairly confident that we can move this forward in the lame duck session here. Well, Leah, I mean, it's tough to, to look too far out ahead with this midterm elections looming just one week away. I know uh, uh, U.S. cattlemen work with state affiliates. Are there any state issues that you're watching here that, that could be up for a vote next week? That's a good question. You know, we we tend to leave the state issues to our state affiliates. We operate at more the federal level, so we rely on them to give us um, some of the news out of each of the states. I know that um, you know they're they're all have their own challenges out there, but um, you know we're we're narrowly focused on this federal legislation here as we look at the midterm elections. Well, that certainly makes sense. There's only so much we can keep our eye on when all of this stuff is happening. I did want to circle back to truth and labeling. We've seen that come up a lot this past year. I think we've had more congressional action on it or discussion than than in recent years past. Where do you see it going post-election or through this Congress? You're absolutely right. It's very exciting to see the congressional action out there. We've got two separate issues here. We've got closing the loophole on product of the USA labeling, which is that product can come into our country, undergo some sort of transformation, which can be cutting, wrapping, trimming, and then they can claim that product of the USA label. And that's because of the repeal of country of origin labeling in 2015. You know, they didn't really leave clear directions on the books once that mandatory country of origin labeling was repealed. So Closing the product of USA loophole is one issue. Reinstituting mandatory country of origin labeling or a WTO compliant version of that is an another um, issue entirely. And so Senator John Thune's been very instrumental in moving that bill forward. It's called the American Beef Labeling Act. And what it would do is reinstate mandatory country of origin labeling if the U.S. Trade Representative and uh, USDA cannot come to an agreement on a WTO compliant version of that program. So both of those bills have received a lot of conversation, have a lot of momentum. I'm not so sure we're going to see it move ahead in this Congress, but I do know that 
that's the most excitement we've seen around truth and labeling in recent years. There's also an administrative avenue too, and we don't even have time to get into that today this morning, but a lot of momentum on truth and labeling, certainly. Interesting. And I'm curious about the closing the loophole for the product of the USA label. Would it still maintain a label? It would just require them to say where born, raised, and processed? Sure. So the, the label that we would like to use is if they are trying to use the product of USA label, you know, these are entirely voluntary labels, the product of USA label. So these companies are choosing to voluntarily misbrand their products. So what we're hoping is that it can claim uh, born, raised and processed in the US if it really is born, raised and processed in the US. And if it's not, maybe they have to just leave off that label. Gotcha. That makes sense. Anything to to put more clarity before the U.S. consumer is a win. Leah, I wanted to get you on this week because I understand the USCA annual meeting up is coming up in December and uh, the rooms for that might be filling up. Can you tell us a little bit about what you've got planned for December? They are. And Mike, we're excited to have Agriculture of America there at the meeting as well. But yes, December 8th, 9th and 10th in Nashville, Tennessee. I know that's NFR time, but if you need a break from the rodeo, come on over to the Music City. We're going to have a huge lineup of what I'm calling beef influencers or beef fluencers. We've got Marky Hageman Jones with Girls Eat Beef 2. She's going to be talking about are you a gatekeeper or a gate opener? We've got, of course, Corbett Wall with DV Auction who's going to run us through a producer profitability workshop. Trey Wasserberger, you might know him as one of the producers that is um, starting up the huge sustainable beef LLC packing plant in North Platte, Nebraska. We're also going to have um, an update on USCA's beef checkoff funded projects. And this might be a bit of a spoiler, but we're going to be able to consume some of those projects funded by the beef checkoff. So we'll be able to eat some of those omega-3 and omega-6 enriched um pieces of beef which i'm really excited about we're okay, also well, oh go ahead yeah well i was gonna say take a step back what is the checkoff <laughs> research that you're working on i i haven't heard of this leah yes no it's very cool and we're very excited about it it's um a we're researching if a certain feed additive and this is all through kansas state university dr jim gerard who runs the feed lot there at uh, ksu uh, we're researching if a feed additive could do three things increase human health, increase animal health by decreasing the risk of liver abscess in feedlot cattle, and then increase environmental health by decreasing methane emissions. So I'll jump back to the uh, human health aspect. What this feed additive would do is kind of pump up the omega-3 and omega-6 fatty acids in beef. So whereas fat has kind of been ostracized in past years as being bad, it's on its way back. And so we wanna figure out how can we make beef as much of a brain food as salmon, just without the mercury. <laughs> Fascinating. That will be very, very exciting. I worked with a nutritionist about 10 years ago. We were going to try to feed flax to the cattle on feed oh, to see yeah. if we could boost their omega-3 content. It's neat to see it coming to fruition. Leo, while we've got you and while convention is on our mind, where can folks go to get more information to see the schedule and to get their rooms reserved if they want to make it to Nashville there on December 8th? Yeah, so you can go to uscattlemen.org. You'll see the site to our meeting registration portal right there on the home page. Our room block does close on November 10th and Nashville does fill up this time of year. So make sure you make your room reservations early and we hope to see you there. Absolutely. And before we let you go, Leah, of course, Farm Bill discussions are moving to center stage. Is there anything that USCA is clamoring for already in this next Farm Bill? You know, we've done it before, we'll do it again. We're pushing for a livestock title. Every other sector has its own um, unique chapter in the farm bill. You've got the commodity programs, you've got conservation. Livestock does not have its own title. So we are pushing for more of a focus on some of these livestock issues. We'll definitely be taking a look at how we can introduce um, some bills that would um, push back against anti-competitive practices and get those within the farm bill. But we also, um, recognize that there's some changes that need to be made to the risk management programs at USDA. And so we'll be looking to either upgrade, provide more funding for, or otherwise support those risk management programs within the context of the Farm Bill. There will be lots of discussions at the annual meeting December 8th in Nashville, Tennessee for the U.S. Cattlemen's Association. We've been talking with Leah Biondo, the Executive Vice President. Leah, thanks for joining us today. Thanks for having us. And folks, stick around. We'll have more AOA when we return. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around.
Take a look under your bed. Find stuff under there? What about jobs? No? Now try your basement. There's a pair of overalls that overall you're not so into anymore. A perfectly good laptop that hasn't sat in your lap in months. And even more stuff, but still no jobs? Well, you really have both. See, stuff is defined as household articles considered as a group. Sometimes this stuff is no longer needed. Wait, no longer needed? That can't be right. Because remember those jobs you were looking for? Those are really needed, and they're the stuff inside your stuff. Even inside that winter coat that moved with you to Phoenix. Our job is to unlock those jobs, and it starts when you donate your stuff to your local Goodwill. Here's how we do it. When you donate to Goodwill, we sell your stuff to provide job training for people right here in your community. So just by teaming up with Goodwill, you help create jobs. And isn't that worth parting with the leftover guitar from your 80s cover band? Goodwill. Donate stuff, create jobs. Find your nearest donation center at goodwill.org. A message from Goodwill and the Ad Council. You're going to need me. You're going to need us. All of us. You're going to need our technical skills. Our math. Our engineering skills. You're going to need our help with your water. Your air. Your food. You're going to need our organizational skills. Our problem-solving skills. You're going to need our determination. Our honesty. Our compassion. You're going to need the next generation of leaders to face the challenges the future will bring. And we promise, we'll be there when you need us. Today, 4-H is growing the next generation of leaders. Support us at 4-H.org. These acres you've put your life into, your view each harvest morning. While the ag industry changes, this land is meant to be here for your grandkids and then theirs. That's why ADS and drainage contractors across the nation are doing our part to protect America's farm families. We're proud to provide water management solutions that make family farms like yours more profitable, now and for generations to come. Learn more about how we keep families farming at adspipe.com. With Harvest wrapping up, Channel Technical Agronomist Don Gustafson joins me to provide an outlook on Harvest and an analysis of Channel's product performance this year. Don, Channel Products in the field, how'd they do? Well, because the farmers have faced a variety of conditions across the region this season, you know, some growers were able to get in the field early, others experienced a delayed planting season, and of course, throughout the season, moisture was either abundant, fair, or scarce. But despite these various conditions, um, channel corn and soybean products have performed very well. From the high yielding acre to the stressed acre with limited rainfall, we have been very pleased with our solid performance. We have a very exciting lineup and we've got great genetics and great breeding to, to back that up. That was channel technical agronomist Don Gustafson. To see how channel products are performing in your area and sign up to receive local harvest results via text or email, visit channel.com yield. Tune in the first Wednesday of every month to listen to the monthly grind here on AOA. It's brought to you by our friends at the National Corn Growers Association, and each month we're going to dig into one specific aspect of corn demand. What happens to this grain after it leaves your operations and enters the global supply chain? That's what we're going to talk about each month on the monthly grind. Again, that's the first Wednesday of every month, and you can also find us wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. It's a show you don't want to miss. This is the place most people think of when they hear that a seed has been engineered for superior performance and designed with proven genetic traits. Because something like that could only come from a lab, right? But this is where Allegiant Seed by CHS comes from. It's made by farmers for farmers. Its advanced genetics and unbeatable value are proven here in their fields to make sure they do the job in yours. Talk to your CHS retailer about Allegiant Seed today or learn more at AllegiantSeed.com. The landscape of media has changed and people are more skeptical than ever about where they get their news and information. While major news outlets show decreasing credibility, your local farm radio station still shows strong marks. In a recent survey, farmers rated information from their farm broadcasters as almost twice as reliable as major news outlets. Farm radio continues to be transparent, honest, and trustworthy. This message brought to you by the National Association of Farm Broadcasting. 
Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oils. Oils that run smart. Keeping America's farmers and ranchers informed on AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Welcome back to AOA, ladies and gentlemen. We've got a couple of headlines that relate to stories that were touched on on earlier on the show. And Brian Split, at the beginning of the episode, mentioned the troubles that are developing down in Brazil. We've covered briefly their election here over the past month. Former President Lula da Silva was running against current President Jair Bolsonaro. They had an election a month ago. It was very close, but nobody secured the majority. And then on the 30th, Last Sunday, the election happened and Lula was declared the victor. It was a very slim margin of victory, less than a percentage point, I believe, between the two. And uh, since then, the country has seen some upheaval. Uh, there have been a series of strikes and protests that have broken out across the country, began on Sunday, stretched through yesterday and Monday. And as of this morning, they are starting to be taken down. Jair Bolsonaro, the current president, um, has come out. He was silent for two days following the election. Uh, earlier this morning, late last night, he came out and issued a statement, didn't formally concede the election to Lula. It does appear that he's still looking for avenues perhaps to, uh, to fight the result, but he did encourage all of his supporters to dismantle their protests. Uh, as of this morning, 601 highways had been closed and those have been lifted. Um, and as of now, there are 200 highways affected. So these protests are starting to come down. But as this is a, uh, is a time of year, we're seeing some Brazilian grains continue to move to ports given the U.S. export challenges with the low river level. These highway slowdowns, if they persist, could create some trouble longer term. We've also got some news coming from the United States. We have been talking a lot about how the broad economy's health or sickness is going to impact agriculture. Of course, when we see bonds and stocks take a fall, if there's a compelling story in the world of equities, a lot of times that investor money will leave those other avenues and move its way into commodities. But the question is, how much money is still out there? How strong is the economy? And of course, it's a convoluted picture. We did get another piece of good news earlier today. We got a report from ADP, a payroll company. They, uh, they take a look at non-farm payrolls, and they estimate that payrolls were up 210,000 jobs in October. Most of these gains happened in the leisure sector, so Americans are getting out. They're going to resorts. They're going to restaurants. They're going to bars. They're getting their, their services met. And... Uh, Private payrolls total up 240,000 last month, a revised higher, and uh, we continue to see strength out there in the hiring market. Now, how long is it going to persist and will it spread beyond the labor market remains to be seen. And of course, the markets are eyeing this very carefully because this afternoon we are expecting to get a report from the Federal Reserve, not a report, rather, we're expecting to get an interest rate hike. Fed watchers, we spoke with Arlen Suderman about it earlier this week, as well as Garrett Toy from Ag Trader Talk. Most folks are anticipating that Fed Chairman Jerome Powell will issue another 75 basis point increase. That's three quarters of a percent in the federal funds rate. We're going to push that up into the mid 4% range. However, Fed watchers, and I can't claim to be one of them, people who read and parse these Fed statements for guidance and perhaps clues as to how the Fed could act in the future, they will be watching today's message very, very closely for signs that Jerome Powell might be willing to step off the gas pedal on these interest rate hikes. We're seeing mortgage rates continue to climb, just shot through 7%, now 30-year fixed-rate mortgages are the most expensive they have been since 2001, and there are concerns developing that perhaps the Fed is moving too far too fast, coming from one side of the aisle. On the other side of the aisle, we're still looking out at 8-9% inflation across the country. We're seeing inflation around the globe, and there's a chorus arguing that the Fed is not doing enough fast enough and that these rates are going to have to continue to push higher. All of these discussions will be moving the markets here over the next two days. As of now, 75 basis points is expected from the Federal Reserve, but it's entirely possible that the quiet things down, slow things down crowd could win, in which case we would see that 50 basis point increase. 
Earlier in the show, of course, we were talking to Shelby Watson from USAPEAK, the USA Poultry and Egg Export Council. And uh, we were talking about really how many, how much poultry we have here in this United States. And it is a lot. The question is, how do we get it processed? Well, we've seen this a lot over the past year. USDA has been working to expand meat and poultry processing. We've seen several announcements with regard to expansion of processing capacity on the beef side, a few on the processing expansion for pork side, although USDA hasn't hasn't veered much into that so far. And earlier this week, we got the first announcement, the first major announcement of increased USDA funding to expand poultry production. Uh, Tom Vilsack, Secretary of Agriculture, was in Omaha and uh, to make these announcements. And basically, it comes down to more money coming out to help grow processing capacity. Uh, in total, they've got $73 million going out to 21 different grant projects. Uh, that's the first round of the Meat and Poultry Processing Expansion Program. Then there will be another separate program that's going to roll out $75 million through the Intermediary Lending Program, and then another $75 million is going to go to four meat and poultry-related products, or projects rather, through the Food Supply Chain Guaranteed Loan Program. So all of these dollars are going to be rolled out. They will be going to small and medium-sized players. Secretary Vilsack said of this initial cohort, it covers 19 different states. And they do say, quote, we anticipate and expect additional announcements in December or in early 2023. We identified a relatively small group of about 40 or so projects that merit further review and evaluation. So no doubt we will be hearing about this a little bit more later on. Thinking about exports before we go for the day, it is expected from the USDA that farm exports are going to plateau in 2023. 2022 was a banner year for exports. Of course, we've talked about the tight global grain supply situation and the growing demand for U.S. poultry and, and meat more broadly. But looking out to this next year, between the challenges in the supply chain, between the strength of the U.S. dollar and the rising interest rates, selling our goods abroad might become a little more challenging. We'll talk about that on tomorrow's episode. Walter Kunish will be joining us. Glenn Tonser with an update on the Meat Demand Monitor. And Josh Linville, Vice President of Fertilizer at Stonex, will be with us to think about planning ahead for 2023. Thanks for listening, folks. Come back tomorrow for more AOA. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. Tune in the first Wednesday of every month to listen to the monthly grind here on AOA. It's brought to you by our friends at the National Corn Growers Association, and each month we're going to dig into one specific aspect of corn demand. What happens to this grain after it leaves your operations and enters the global supply chain? That's what we're going to talk about each month on the monthly grind. Again, that's the first Wednesday of every month, and you can also find us wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. It's a show you don't want to miss. This is the place most people think of when they hear that a seat has been engineered for superior performance and designed with proven genetic traits. Because something like that could only come from a lab, right? But this is where Allegiant Seed by CHS comes from. It's made by farmers for farmers. Its advanced genetics and unbeatable value are proven here in their fields to make sure they do the job in yours. Talk to your CHS retailer about Allegiant Seed today or learn more at AllegiantSeed.com.